So is the temptation when Jesus gives us unsettling words to try to tame them, to get up. And then if ever Christ says something that that kind of shakes you, and then immediately what follows is a sermon that makes you feel good and comfortable, that means that there's an incongruity there between Christ's words and what's being taught. So conversion is allowing Christ's words to truly hit us and then seeing, well, how can I convert to be more faithful to Christ, right? And so today, you know, I think there's a, there's a close connection between what we heard in the second reading and what we heard in the gospel. First, the second reading, they're saying, do not forget discipline. Every good father disciplines his child. He teaches him how to be, how to grow up, right? And Christ is given the question in the gospel, how many will be saved? And what does he say? Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many try to enter, but they are not strong enough. So what's the connection there? If you don't undergo proper discipline, you won't be strong enough to get into heaven, according to Christ's own words. And that's true for what Christ is saying eschatologically, but if we think about it, that's true for everything we do on earth. You never get anything worthwhile without sacrifice and discipline. In all cultures across the world, cultures that have never met each other, there's something that they all have in common, and that's rites of passage for young boys. It's really interesting. It shows that it's a human phenomenon that goes far deeper than just certain um, cultural structures. Every culture has some sort of passage from young boys to become men. So in Africa, you have to go, to the way that you're initiated into the tribe as a man, you have to go on a lion hunt. You get one spear, and you have to be participating in the killing of the lion. In ancient Sparta and Greece, the young boys, well, like 12 years old, they'd be given a knife, and they'd be blocked out of the city, and they couldn't come back until they had killed a wolf with that one knife. Then they were brought in and understood as, okay, now you've entered into manhood. In Pacific Islands, this one I thought was one of the worst, they actually they have a 98-foot-tall tree, and they, they believe it's a sacred tree. So what each boy has to do is he has to climb up that tree. He has to measure the vine that he's going to tie around his foot that's connected to that tree, and he has to jump down 98 feet, and the goal is to get as close as you can to the ground without hurting yourself. So they'll try to measure it to the point where they can touch their shoulder. And obviously, if you have any kind of miscalculation, it's, you know, it's deadly. In the Amazon, they'll fill their gloves. There's something called a bullet ant. It's, they say it's the most painful insect that we know on this earth that you get bit by. It's 20 times more painful than a wasp scene. And they fill a glove. The elders will fill a glove with like 15, 20 of these bullet ants. And then a young boy, he has to make the decision himself, but he has to put his hand into that glove and endure the pain of those bites for at least 10 minutes without passing out. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Why do it? And why is it that the same phenomenon is all over the place? What do they all have? What's the psychology behind a rite of passage? They all carry three things. There's threat of danger, of pain, and even possible death. So why make young boys do that in order to initiate them as men in the tribe? Well, because what it's saying is that 
you are going into a world that is painful, that is dangerous, and even carries the threat of death. But you're the type of person that can encounter that kind of danger and overcome it. And so what they're doing is they're teaching their young men, their boys, you need to be courageous. You need to be realistic about the dangers that are ahead of you and you know that in yourself you have what it takes to enter into that. You are stronger than it. You can overcome it. So the boys actually look forward more than anything else to these rites of passages where they can see danger and walk right into it. What's the opposite attitude? The attitude of the West. It's overprotect. There's a saying that whenever you overprotect your children, you don't make them stronger. You actually make them weaker and more dependent. And you give them the subtle message by doing that, that you're actually not strong enough to make it in this world. And I have to protect you from everything that is evil, from everything that can hurt you, because you can't do it on your own. So instead of preparing for them for life, we protect them from life. And the problem is, you can't protect from life. Because life just is. And life is dangerous, it's painful, and there's death all around us. And so you're not supposed to protect our children from that reality, because you can't. The best we can do is prepare them, equip them, and show them you have the strength, you have the capacity to go into that and to come out on top. And then they become unstoppable. Because every problem they face in life, they have that same mentality of, I'm the one who stuck my glove into that glove of ants. I'm the one who, who jumped off a 98-foot tree and came out on top. I can handle this problem too. You fill them with courage. What's happened some, at some point in our church is we stop disciplining ourselves. I really think that's, the, that's one of the reasons so many people have left our church in the past 50 years. We stopped all discipline, or much of it. We stopped praying the daily rosary. We stopped fasting. We stopped going to confession often. We stopped going to adoration. We stopped talking about the harsh realities of sin, of life, of eternal heaven and eternal hell. And so what you do, when you, well, what the effect of is that is we don't equip our people to go into the world where all of those things are still a danger and they end up losing the most precious gift they have, which is their faith, because they haven't been properly equipped. Why did Jesus say so many people would not be saved? Well, this is one answer. They would not be strong enough. They would not be strong enough. If our faith is not strong enough, when we go into the world, we lose it. And we all know many people who have endured the sufferings of this world, and because of that, they've lost their faith. So that's why it's my job, more than anything, more than to console, is to equip you to be very realistic about what are the things that can steal your gift of faith, that can destroy your relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is how you can overcome it. Because you're stronger than the threats are in the world. You're capable of facing that if you strive for it. If you become disciplined. It'll never just come passively. You know, something to remember is that we always act according to our belief system. We always act according to our belief system. So if we believe that something is easy to attain, are we ever going to strive for it? 
Are we, are we ever going to suffer to attain that end? If you think about a test, if you know you're going into a test, you guys are going to start school soon, and you, you heard from the upperclassmen that the teacher, not only is it an easy test, but everyone usually passes. Super easy. She never fails anyone. Are you going to study for that test? When your friends say, hey, let's go out to a movie, are you going to say, no, I think I really better stay home and prepare myself for this test that everyone gets through no matter what? No, it's going to all go to the movie. If you're playing in a sports team, right, and you're going against the opponent who you know you've beat time and time again, are you really going to train hard that week in sports? No. What's the point? But if you know that it's a test you're going into, that unless you pass it, you can't go on, and very few people pass that test, and it's extremely difficult, what's going to happen? You're going to strive. You're going to discipline yourself and you're going to make the proper sacrifices to do whatever I can to succeed in that test. If I know I'm going against a hard opponent, I'm going to work that much harder in the, in the practices that week to prepare myself. We act according to our belief system. So if I believe that getting into heaven is easy or the default of humanity, it's just a natural way, am I going to really make the sacrifices necessary to get there? Or when push comes to shove, am I going to say, well, you know, it's probably all going to work out in the end anyway. The problem is, who's informing your belief system? And this is why I think hell is the most important thing to talk about in our times. Because there's been nothing that's been more manipulated than our belief in eternity. And I've talked to so many people who will give me so many philosophical reasons on why we shouldn't believe in hell anymore. So, well, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a Catholic. And that means that one man asked me the other day, uh, last summer, what do you believe in hell? Like, what's your thoughts? And I'm 30 years old. What do you care about what I have to think about hell? I, I have no life experience. I know Jesus Christ. I'm a Catholic. So that means that the what informs my system of belief is the words of Jesus Christ. And the one thing that Jesus Christ says over and over again, whenever he's given the question about hell, is you better strive for it. Because many people do not enter. Many people do not make the necessary sacrifice. They don't discipline themselves. Why? Because they don't, they don't think it's a threat. If we understood the reality of hell, we would make our relationship with Jesus Christ the most important thing in this world, would we not? And that's why the more I see this is, if you do not live what you believe, you believe what you live. If you do not live what you believe, you will soon believe what you live. And college students, they do not leave the faith because of theological reasons. They don't say, I've studied the faith and I see that it doesn't work. It's morality. They break down their moral life and then they say, well, I either have to choose between the sin that I'm committing in my life or I have to say that it doesn't really matter and everyone goes to heaven in the end. That's what breaks it down in the end. It's morality. Because if I'm not living what I believe, soon enough I'll believe what I live. And then I'll have to rationalize all my decisions because of that. When I gave you guys the story, I feel like it's payback time for a priest. Because I gave you a story once about Gloria Polo. I hope you looked her up. About a woman who had a near-death experience. She died, went to her judgment, and found herself very wanting. Um, but she was a layperson, so I thought I should give you a near-death experience of a priest. This was something that really inspired me right before 
I went into the, right before I was ordained. And we have to understand one thing here, that there's no one who has a greater possibility of going to hell than myself and Father Jim. Like, I believe that, and I act according to that. Because the more you are given, the more that is expected of you. To become a priest does not mean you have a free pass to get into heaven. It actually means that so much more is being expected of you than anybody else. That's why my life must become a sacrifice, or I will answer for it. And that's why I tell you what I tell you. Because if Jesus Christ is one thing, and I set myself as a priest, say something different, I'm no longer his disciple. I'm no longer following him. I'm only preaching my own truth. So that's what happened with this priest, Father Shire. He described himself, he was ordained in 1973, Father Stephen Shire. You can watch this interview on YouTube. It's an EWTN interview between him and Mother Angelica. And what happened was he was ordained a priest for about 12 years. Um, and he said that his whole philosophy was never rock the boat. He's like, I, people came to Mass. I made them laugh. I told them jokes. I made them feel good about where they're at. So my parish was more like a cruise ship than a Catholic church. People didn't come there to be converted to Jesus Christ. They came there just to have a good time and then go out on their on the rest of their, their week. But all that changed on October 18th because he was driving in a car, got in a crash, flew through the windshield, severed half the side of his brain, his right side of his brain. Um, the last thing he remembered was he was trying to pray the rosary in the ambulance, but he couldn't even remember the Hail Marys, but he just kept trying to say Hail Mary over and over again. Next thing he's in the hospital, Dr. C has a 15% chance to live. Well, at one point, he died. And the person he woke up as was not the same person, was not the same priest that he had died as. And so I just want to, I'm going to read to you his own testimony about what he experienced when he did that. It says, I found myself before the throne of judgment. Jesus Christ was the judge. I didn't see him. I merely heard him. What took place was instantaneous. He went through my entire life on earth. And he accused me of sins of commission, so things that I did, and sins of omission, the things I refused to do, that were unconfessed and therefore unforgiven and unrepentant sins. So always remember that. He was only judged for the sins he did not take to the confessional. Whenever you confess anything, it's gone forever, if you repent of it. So it was only the sins he didn't confess. To each offense, I said, yes, Lord. I had always planned that on my judgment day, I would have all kinds of excuses to say to the Lord for the things I knew I was doing that was wrong. But when you are talking to the truth personified, you can't make any excuses. All you can say is, yes, Lord. He reached the end of my judgment and said to me, your sentence is hell. Again, I said, yes, Lord, I know. It was the only logical conclusion that he could have come up with. It was not a shock to my system. It was as if he were honoring my choice, my decision. I had chosen my sentence. He was merely honoring my own free will and choice. It was then, after he had said this, that I heard a woman's voice. She said, Son, would you spare his life and his immortal soul? The Lord said, Mother, he has been a priest 12 years now for himself and not for me. Let him reap 
the punishment that he deserves. She in reply said, But son, what if we give to him special graces and strengths and see if he bears fruit? If not, your will be done. There was a very short pause, and then I heard Jesus say, Mother, he's yours. He woke up, he fully recovered over the next year, and then he ended up leaving the diocesan priesthood, and he joined a religious order where he spent the intercessors, the lamb, where he spent the remainder of his life in prayer and reparation for sins. So it was a very profound event in his life. He did that up until the day that he died. And that's why it's incumbent upon me as a priest. There's nothing harder than for a parent to discipline their children. I really believe that. Because there's nothing a parent wants more than the love of their children, right? So the temptation is, I'll I'll protect you. I'll keep you safe. I won't discipline you because then you'll be mad at me. But we all know that when you overprotect your children, we just end up spoiling them. And they don't have the, the, the strength to go out and strive in the sufferings that they encounter in life. Same thing with the priest. It's my job to equip you for all the battles that you're going to have in this world to protect what's most precious in your life, which is your faith. Which is the principal thing that will be threatened over and over and over again. Our belief systems determine how we act. If we presume that heaven is easy to attain, we won't discipline ourselves. We won't make the proper sacrifice. But if we take Jesus' word seriously, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but they will not be strong enough, then I will do what is necessary. I'll discipline myself. I'll make the necessary sacrifice. I'll pray the rosary daily. I'll go to confession. I'll amend my life. I'll make the sacrifice to be at Mass every Sunday. I'll convert my life to Christ. Because the truth is, the threat of hell is real. But there's an even deeper truth that Christ is communicating to us right now. It's that you have what it takes within you to beat the odds. You can make it through that narrow gate. But you got to discipline yourself. you got to strive for it. you got to really want it. And heaven will be yours. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.